but hey, we're in part two of this unshakable series, Living an Uncompromised Life. And today we're going to be talking specifically about David in the Old Testament. And so to get ready, if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, we'll start there today. But this series, you know, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to be unshakable? You know, when life goes out of control, what does it look like for the family of God, for the people of God to have this unshakable characteristic in their life? Not just an unshakable moment. You know, we all have strong moments, right? We all have good days. We all have good days where everything goes right, when, when the plan comes together. But man, as Christ followers, I think people are looking to us. What is going to happen when life falls apart? What kind of example do we set for the world when life doesn't go how we planned? And if you're new to church and you're, you're, you're maybe new to your relationship with Christ, I hope that you see in this series how the next time a storm comes in your life, you don't have to fall apart. You can stay steady, right? So not an unshakable moment, but an unshakable life. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at Old Testament characters and what we can learn from their lives. And then there's a whole lot of cool stuff that happened in the Old Testament and just great examples of sticking with it and endurance in the faith. But to kind of kick it off, I want to just read this quick passage from James chapter 1 that talks about going through trials. And I think this is just a great theme passage for this whole series. James 1 verse 2 through 8, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, how many of you read that and you're like, yeah, right, seriously? It's like, maybe like a little trial, but what about the big stuff? What about when everything really falls apart? God, are you really, James, are you really talking about that? It says in verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, it didn't say if, when your faith is tested, and it will be, right? Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. You know, we could almost jump into Frozen and just start singing, let it grow, right? Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Man, wouldn't that be a good place to be? Just steady and independent in the best way possible in your relationship with Christ. Yes, we need each other, and we'll talk about the that today, but sometimes you got to stand for yourself. you got to stand strong, and that's what this is talking about. Number five, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Aren't you thankful for that? But when you ask him, and here's the ticket, here's the condition, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Everybody say that. Do not waver. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. And therein we find the theme of this series, an uncompromised life. God's plan for you is to be stable, to be strong, to be steadfast, just like my dad talked about last week, steadfast endurance, not giving up no matter what. 
Now, I know that as I say that, I know that there's been times in my life where I gave up. And I know that there's people in this room on the verge of giving up. And I know there's people in this room that have given up. And so this morning, I'm not saying this to bring any condemnation, but to just show you that there is a better way. There's a better path. And because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and how he rose again from the dead, it can be different for you next time. Right? And so unshakable faith, this confidence, God is with me. My loyalties aren't divided. It's not half with the world and half with God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because my focus is solely on him. And so what are we going to learn from the life of David this morning? If you want to grab your notes, you could start filling in the blanks. The notes are also on the app. If you have the Mosaic app, you could check that out. But the first thing that I want to talk about from the life of David today is that God is looking for uncompromising people. God is looking for people who have a heart that says, God, it's all for you. I'm completely surrendered 100%, all for your glory, all for your honor. The Bible says that David had, was a man after God's own heart. So obviously there was something deep in his heart that was uncompromising. He had an, a, an uncompromising loyalty to God. And so let me give you a little background of, of this, this story in, in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. God had already chosen a king for Israel, and his name was Saul. But Saul was a bust. Pretty early on, Saul began to do his own thing and not listening to God. And so because of Saul's disobedience, the Bible literally says that God took his spirit away from Saul. He removed his spirit from him. Man, that would be a horrible place to be, right? For to have once been with God and had God's spirit in your life and then God takes it away because of Saul's disobedience. And so listen to this piece of drama. While Saul was still king and was still going to be king for a long time, God anoints another king. And his name is David. And so we see in 1 Samuel 16, 13, the prophet Samuel goes to the town of Bethlehem and anoints the shepherd boy David as the future king of Israel. Get this, and this should just blow your mind. When David was anointed king, he was between 10 and 12 years old. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene that Samuel comes to Jesse and says, show me all your boys. So they come out from the oldest to the youngest and he goes down the line and, and, and he's like, nope, 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 all the way until he'd gone through the whole line. He's like, do you have any more sons? And Samuel's like, well, yeah. Or Jesse's like, well, yeah, I got one more out in the field tending the sheep. Samuel's like, bring him on in. And as soon as Samuel sees David, God speaks to him and says, this is the one. And in 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, so as David stood there among his brothers, can you imagine the family drama that was happening at that moment? All the older brothers were standing as the youngest little twerp gets anointed. And so it says, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came upon powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. And so get the picture. 
God takes his spirit from Saul, who is disobedient, who is compromising in his faith, and he gives his spirit to David. What a powerful example for us of what happens when your heart is uncompromising. Why? Because God is looking for uncompromising people. He's looking for leaders. And so what do we see here? One thing we see is that there's no age restraints on God's call. That God is ready to call people, no matter what age, who are ready to say yes to Jesus. That God is ready to do amazing things through the lives of people that will just say yes. This is one reason why I love youth camp. Sophie just came back from youth camp. Next week, we're sending our kids to, to the Ohio Ministry Network youth camp. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in their lives. Man, as soon as I got here, you know, talking to Mark, I'm like, we're going to youth camp. Let's get it going. We've been making phone calls. We've been begging kids to come. Why? Because God's going to meet them there in a powerful way. And the cool thing is God doesn't just meet them at youth camp. He meets them at, in service on Wednesday night. God's meeting our kids in service right now, uh, you know, in the other room in the building. God wants to meet people where they're at, regardless of how old they are and regardless of what background they come from. You see, in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming on certain people at certain times for certain purposes. For instance, David. The Spirit of God comes on him to anoint him to be the future king of Israel. We see the Spirit being taken from Saul. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on people at certain people at certain times for certain purposes. But in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, the fire of the Holy Spirit that came down on the people in the upper room was on every single person's head. The wind blew to where everyone could hear it. Every single person in the upper room was filled with the Holy Spirit. So you know what that tells us? That just like the Holy Spirit came on David in the Old Testament, and certain people in certain places at certain times, because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, his Holy Spirit is available to anoint and empower available people who just say yes to Jesus. There is no caste system, class system, status system in the kingdom of God in the New Testament church. Every single one of you have the potential for God to use you in a powerful way. God is looking for leaders. And there's a leadership vacuum in the church today because people look to professional ministers or, or the talented people or the people that have the right gift set to do ministry. But that's not God's plan at all. God is looking for availability over ability. Some of you might say, Joe, I don't have any talents. I can't sing. I can't play. I can't speak. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you say, well, how in the world would God ever want to be, use me? God's looking for an uncompromising heart. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God is looking for people who are called way more than he's looking for people who are qualified. Why? Because he's going to qualify the called. He's looking for people who just say yes to Jesus. Listen to David's background. You think, man, Joe, my family, you know, none of them went to church. I've never been to church my whole life. How could God ever use me? Look at, listen to the kind of family that David came from. David, at this time when he was anointed king, he was only three generations removed from the Gentile Ruth and four generations removed from the harlot or prostitute Rahab. 
So his great, 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 whatever grandmother was a prostitute. Um, this also meant that just five generations before David, the future king's great, great, great grandfather was born into slavery. And his great, great grandfather was born in the desert under a pill of fire being led by God through the wilderness sometime after his parents were freed from Egypt. And so you think, man, my family pedigree isn't what God is looking for. Think again. God can use all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of places. But what we see from the story is just because David was anointed when he was 10 or 12 years old, it didn't mean it was time for him to step into his role as king. The next step was to wait. Don't you love the waiting game? His next step was to be faithful. His next step was to endure. His next step was to do whatever God put in his hand and just be faithful. God promotes people in his timing. But the first step is being available and committed and uncompromising in how we follow Jesus. What did Samuel say? Or what did God say to Samuel when, when Samuel looked on the first and the eldest son? God said, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God values the condition of your heart way more than he values worldly success or appearance. What's the second thing that we see from the life of David? We see that uncompromising people relentlessly pursue growth. Uncompromising people relentlessly pursue growth. We see this from a very early age in the life of David. One principle that we can apply is that you and I, we might serve in many different ways and in many different ministries and many different capacities. And so what do we do? Get ready. Start preparing. Start growing. Long before you ever get the opportunity, prepare for the battle. Listen, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to be out in the fields with the dirty sheep, getting dirty and, and doing the dirty work, you're too small to lead. David was a faithful shepherd. He was a faithful, I love this word, minstrel. He got to go and play his, his guitar or his harp or whatever he played for King Saul. He was a faithful friend. He was a faithful commander of armies. And he was a faithful king. He was even a creative fugitive. He went on the run for years and years and years, but never, you know, sacrificed his loyalty to God and to the king that God had put in place. Right? So he was relentlessly pursuing just being the best at whatever he had to do at the time. I've gotten some pushback in my life and in my ministry uh, career over the years for pushing towards growth and excellence. You know, one, one, um, one time I, it was in our youth ministry and I, just, I, I was coaching our team on how to uh, do the snack shop with excellence, right? The snack shop. It's just the snack. We're just selling candy bars and Coke and, and water and, and it's just the snack shop, right? But I was like, no, we're going to do it great, we're going to be the best youth group snack shop in the face of the planet. 
And one of the leaders is like, Joe, what in the world? It's like, it's like you're treating this like a business or something. Why, why are you being so, such a stickler about this snack shop? And I, and I said, well, because we're doing it for God. Because we get to interact with people at this snack shop that don't know Jesus. And we want it to be the best experience at a snack shop they're ever going to have. Why? Because whatever God puts in our hand to do, we better do it great. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. And so as uncompromising people, man, we better start growing now. We better be getting ready. We better be doing the small things like they're the big things, right? You see, when David showed up on the day of battle with Goliath, anybody ever heard this story? Little old David comes on the field when nobody else would walk out there and defeats the giant Goliath who had been taunting the nation of Israel. And so on the day of battle, David was ready. He was ready. He was prepared He had gotten ready long before that. Think about the scene. Goliath is a professional warrior. He's got all the armor. He's got all the tools. He's got the look. He's huge. He's strong. He's intimidating. No one wants to fight Goliath. But David had perfected his craft. Slinging rocks with a sling in obscurity. He was ready when his moment came. Why? Because he had perfected, he had practiced, he had worked hard to become good with the sling. David arrived ready to fight a different battle than that of his enemy. This is huge for you. If you want to be an uncompromising Christian in a compromising world, then you've got to fight a different battle than the world is fighting. Listen, David shows up, he goes out in the field, he doesn't wear the armor. He just walks out there himself. He's got his bag. He's got his sling. He grabs a few stones. Goliath was built and equipped for close combat, right? For fighting with a sword up close. And David knew that if he tried to fight Goliath, Goliath's way, he would probably lose. But David had no intention of getting close. Goliath was a close combat warrior. David was what they called a slinger. He was a slinger. Slingers in that um, time in history, uh, people who had perfected the art of throwing the sling, you know, a rock with a sling, they were deadly accurate and, and could be deadly up to 200 yards away. At closer distances, the, the rock coming out of that sling is thrown at such force and at such speed that it was just as deadly as a hand as as a, a modern day handgun at close range and so think about it I don't even think David went out there with one shiver in his boots because he knew he wasn't playing the same battle so much of the time we're like look the underdog beat Goliath what if we turn that on its head and say David was as confident as could be because he wasn't fighting the same battle as the world Listen, the Romans back in, in this, this era, um, you know, later on, the Romans had, had a special pair of tongs to pull rocks out of people who had been hidden with a sling. It was so common that they had to do this that they had a special pair of tongs just for the task. Listen, 
David had no intention of matching the same kind of strength. He was in a different state of mind. He wasn't operating on a wave of idealism without concrete skills. He didn't use the armor of men. He used what God had given him and what he had worked on in the fields. It was both the combination of his skill and how he had prepared for the day of battle and the confidence that God had put inside of him. He played by a different set of rules. There's a verse when David walks out in the field that, that says that, you know, Goliath said to David, hey, am I a dog that you should come at me with sticks? The only thing about that is David was just carrying one stick. And some scholars actually believe that, that Goliath in his size actually had a problem with his vision. That he actually couldn't even see straight. So when he saw David coming, one, they think that he might have had to been led out onto the field by his armor bearer, which preceded him. Why? Because he couldn't see straight. And when he saw David coming, he said, who am I that a dog that you come at me with sticks? And it's like sticks plural. But no, David just had one stick. And so David knows he has the upper hand, I believe. And what does Goliath say? He says, come close, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. What's a potential reason why, why Goliath needed David to come close? Because he couldn't see him very well until he got close. David, though, was playing a different battle. He didn't go out to fight Goliath's battle. He had his own battle. He was fighting for God's renown. He was fighting for God's honor. He was fighting for God's glory, and he was confident. Listen, don't try to fight the world's battle. If you try to fight the world's battle, the world's way, you'll lose every time. Fight the battle of your life with God's tools, with the confidence that God puts inside of you, and with the perspective of heaven. With the perspective of heaven. Ephesians 6.2 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And in, so in 1 Samuel 17, 45, it says, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And so what did David do? He runs at the giant. He does what he's done a thousand times. He slings that, that rock straight into his forward head, walks up, cuts off his head, battle over. Love it. Not an ounce of hesitation. Why? Because he's fighting God's battle, not the world's battle. But none of this would have been possible had David not prepared beforehand. He came ready to the battle. He relentlessly pursued excellence in his life, and he was ready when the opportunity came. So grow your mind, grow your skills. Grow your resilience, grow your compassion, grow your heart, grow your body, grow your strength and be ready for the battle so that when God puts you in the right place at the right time, you are ready to fight with his tools, his gifts that he's given you and you're ready to win. Number three, what's the third thing that we learned from the life of David? We learned that uncompromising people have relational intelligence. Uncompromising people have relational intelligence. Now, if you know the story of David very well, you know that his life was not perfect. David's life actually was not lacking in relational drama. Anybody know what relational drama is? 
Anybody tasted a little bit of that in your life? Maybe, um, you know, Christmas, you know, when you're, you're like, you're not so excited to go to, to home for Christmas because there's some drama. You know, maybe there's some drama happening in your house right now, some relational discomfort. Maybe, you know, there's family members that you haven't talked to in years because of relational drama. David was no stranger to this. You think about it, his brothers, he was anointed over them. That probably caused some tension. Saul, the king, tried over and over to kill David, right? Relational tension. David had a wife that at first was loyal to him, but then turned on him. There is some relational tension. David had kids. After he had kids and they grew up, he had kids betray him and turn on him. More relational tension. And I'm not here to say that David was perfect through all these circumstances by any chance. He was not. But I see three key areas of relational intelligence in his life that we can apply to our lives today. Friendship, authority, and repentance. Friendship, authority, and repentance. In these three areas of relational intelligence, David had some great moments. The first is friendship. David had some great friends. The first of which was Jonathan, who was the king's son. The guy that should have been heir to the throne became close friends with David and his closest ally and his closest friend. David probably would not have kept living had Jonathan not helped him, helped him get out and escape Saul's plans to kill him. And so David and Jonathan became best friends later on. When, when, John, when David is on the run, he had these 600 fighting men. They called him the Gibram. And then he had these 37 men that were called David's mighty men. And there's this one chapter that just talks about all the exploits of these guys. These were bad dudes. One of them, his name was Benaiah. And he's the one that the Bible says went down into a pit with a lion on a snowy day and killed the lion. Can you imagine? And so David had these studs around him. He had these men's men around them that were incredibly loyal to David. David couldn't have done it without his posse. He couldn't have done it without his close friends. He couldn't have done it without these people in his life that were loyal and good friends. You need friends. That's why we do life groups here at Mosaic, so that you can get in relationship with people who are going in the same direction towards Christ and have the right kind of people speaking into your life. You need friends. You need mentors. You need armor bearers. You need people that are going to challenge you and support you in what God has called you to do. David obviously had some relational influence, some relational intelligence for people to want to be around him so much. He had grown in the art of friendship. Another area where we need to be, have relational intelligence is in the area of authority. Listen, every leader has a leader. Every single one. There's no such thing as a leader without a leader. It doesn't exist. Why? Because in Psalms 75, 6, in the Living Bible, it says, For promotion and power come from nowhere on earth, but only from God. He promotes one, and he deposes another. So David 
At one point, he had to go on the run away from his leadership, away from the king, but at the same time, he honored his leadership. What a hard thing to do. Listen, there's some people in this world that grasp the most for power. They grasp at power. They're hungry for power. And those people are the ones who are least qualified to use it. You know, as, as a leader, I get leery about people who, who want to be prominent. I get leery about people who want to do things in the spotlight. I get leery about people that just hunger for the platform or hunger for the leadership position. Why? Because position means nothing. It means nothing. People don't care about your position. They care whether you care. They care whether you can lead them, whether you're going to do what you say you you are going to do and whether you are who you say you are. And so as people who are under leadership, I have leadership in my life. Yes, I'm, I get to be the pastor of Mosaic, but I have leaders over me, both ones that I've asked to be in my life, like mentors that I've given authority in my life, and then also structural leaders like the, the leaders of our Ohio ministry network, pastors over me that can speak into my life and bring discipline if necessary. And so when you're under leadership, and every single one of us are, we have two choices. We can get under or we can leave. We can get under or we can leave. You can always leave. And David modeled this when it was unsafe for him to stay. He literally was going to be killed. He ran. But these are our two choices. We can get under the, the, God, the leadership that God has placed in our life or we can leave. 1 Samuel 26, 9 through 11 this is a highlight in, in this story where David is on the run from King Saul. He's, he's running for his life. King Saul is chasing him down and trying to find him so that he could kill him. And King Saul and his men are sleeping one night. And there's a, a circle of, of soldiers around King Saul. And King Saul is supposed to be being protected by his, his bodyguards. And David sneaks down into the camp. And they're like... and. David's friends are saying, kill him, kill him. David's friends wanted David to kill Saul. But David said this, he said, no, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head and then let's get out of here. Right? What a one, this is like Bible times special ops mission, right? It's in the middle of the night, it's dark. David and his soldiers are sneaking in behind enemy lines and pulling off this, this, this awesome mission. I mean, it could be a movie, right? And so, but instead of taking revenge, instead of taking matters into his own hands, instead of doing, once again, instead of fighting the battle the world's way, David is like, I'm going I'm to do this God's way. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to let God take care of Saul because Saul was still the king of Israel. He put revenge in the hands of an almighty God instead of trying to take revenge for ourselves. So much of the time for us as people, we try to take it into our own hands. If we see a leader in our life not doing something the right way, uh, we, we start, first we start to gossip, then we start to 
you know, spread rumors. Then we start to, you know, cause trouble. Then we start to cause division, whether it be at your workplace or sometimes even at church or, or maybe if the school board isn't doing things how you want, you start to spread discord and division. It happens all over the place. Our national politics are built on it, right? But what if we just say, hey, you know what? No leader gets where they're at without God putting them there. So I got two choices. I can either get under and pray for them and do my best to honor who God has picked, or I can leave. Well, how would that change your attitude? How would that change your approach to life? And trust me, I know it's hard. I've, I've been under some leaders that I didn't necessarily respect in the past. But until I left, my job was to honor God and honor my leader. Right? And so how you deal with authority says a whole lot about how you trust God. It says a whole lot about how you trust God. The third thing that we see... Um, David uh, do really well is repent. And so there's these three areas of relational intelligence, friendship, authority, and repentance. Listen, repentance is huge for your walk with Christ. And we're going to close with this today. Listen, you can't be relationally smart without repentance. It's the foundation of your relationship with Christ. What does this mean? This means the humbleness to come to Christ and say, God, I messed up. To look your Savior in the eyes and say, Jesus, I've fallen. The Bible says that, the whole, that, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the very first step in your relationship with Christ is looking the creator of all the universe, the Lord of all creation, the Savior of the world in the eyes and repenting. When you mess up, when you sin, and we've all been there. So listen to David's story. He becomes king after years and years and years on the run. He has a bunch of victories. He's the man. Everybody's loving him. Everybody's excited. Life is looking good. And one day in the spring, when the Bible says it was the, is the season where kings were supposed to go off to war, David didn't go. He sent his friends out instead. Joab and his armies, he sent them out to do the job for him. He stayed back at the palace. He's living large. He's hanging out, right? One day he walks out on his balcony. He sees a woman that's very attractive. He sends for her. He commits adultery. Once he finds out that this woman is pregnant, he has her husband murdered. How's that for relational intelligence? Right? What does this say to us? That no matter the heights that you reach, you're one choice away from doing something really stupid. I'm sure that David, after this, you know, and after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, I'm sure he's just saying to himself, how could I be so stupid? After all that God has done for me, after all the victories, after all the, the times I've been loyal and faithful, how could I be so stupid, right? But at least David had the relational intelligence, and I'm not saying with other people, but with his God in heaven, 
to say I'm sorry, to repent, to turn around and go the other direction. You know, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't what he, doing what he was supposed to be doing. Maybe that's where you're at in life right now. You don't know what you're doing in life. You're not doing anything on purpose. You're just living. And a lot of days, you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're bored. And maybe just like David, maybe you're saying things to yourself like, well, my wife betrayed me, so what was I supposed to do? I deserve this. Maybe that's what David was thinking. Maybe David was thinking that he finally arrived in a season where he could just focus on him. We do that, don't we? We're like, life's been hard. I'm just gonna have a little fun. Maybe David was thinking, I was a fugitive. I've gone through so many hard things. Shouldn't I just be allowed to enjoy life a little bit? But David was confronted about his sin and he repents and he finishes well. In Psalm 51, I, it's, I think it's my favorite Psalm and it's, it's definitely probably David's most famous Psalm. And in verses 10 through 12, David cries out this prayer to God and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And can you hear just the raw nature of that prayer? David knew how to repent. And I pray that every single person in this room, that we can come to that place of brokenness where we say, God, I messed up. God, I need you. God, I need to repent today. God, I need to turn my life around. I need to say goodbye to the old life and hello to my new life in Christ. In Acts 13, 36, it says, now when David had served God's purpose, in his own generation, he fell asleep. I love that. This one little sentence in the New Testament that sums up David's life. When he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. You see, because as cool as David's stories were, he was living for God's purposes. As much as we talk about him and, and how, you know, you know, it's just, it's a great story. It was all about God's purposes. And so as you think about your life today and the uncompromising nature that God is calling you to, you know, you gotta remember, God's looking for leaders who are willing to live for his glory and not their own. God is calling you and I to relentlessly pursue growth so that we're ready for the battle when the battle comes. And remember the battle's gonna come when you face trials, not if when and then God's calling us to be relationally smart have relational intelligence in your friendships with the authority figures that God has placed in your life and how often and how well you repent I know for me repentance is a part of my walk with Christ right it's a discipline it's a practice when I say God I'm so sorry when I say fresh and anew, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Cast me not away from your presence. 
Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Help me, Jesus. Amen. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. I want to start with that very last thing that we talked about, repentance, and just give you a, a chance to do that today. If you say, Joe, I just I need to tell God I'm sorry. I need to confess today that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I want to reach out to Him today and make Him my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, just with all the boldness and confidence that you can muster, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. You say, I'm choosing Jesus. Amen. I'm choosing Jesus. Amen. God, I thank you so much for those that raise their hands. And if you raised your hand today, I just want to encourage you to right there at your seat, pray a prayer of repentance. It could, it could look just like David's. You could say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen. Invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you're here today and you say, Joe, I, I've chosen to follow Jesus, but there's been a lot of compromising going on in my life. And I want to make a fresh and new commitment to live an uncompromised life today. And trust me, church, just like the life of David, you won't always get it, get it right. You won't be perfect, neither am I. But it's a choice every day that we make to be uncompromising when we follow Jesus. If, if that's the choice that you wanna make, fresh and anew today, say, God, I don't wanna compromise anymore. If that's you, just raise your hand as I pray a closing prayer. Jesus, here we are. God, we raise in our hands right now to say, we want to live an uncompromised life, just like David did. That when we mess up, we repent. God, that we honor the authority figures in our life, Jesus. That we have great friendships that lead us towards you, Jesus. That we prepare for the battle ahead of time. Jesus, help us to say yes to you and surrender to you with our whole hearts. All of our dreams, all of our ambitions, everything that we have, help us to place it in your hands. God, we want the same thing to be said of us when we pass, that we served your purposes in our generation. God, that we hear, well done, a good and faithful servant. It's what we long to hear, Jesus. We give our lives to you whole and anew today.